You're listening to an IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education. Powered by UCL Minds. In 2011, Elaine Unterhalter, Professor of Education and International Development, spoke to the IOE about her research, which links gender, education and poverty. She's joined by Kate Greeney, who at the time was a PhD candidate and is now the Head of Economic Development in Kenya for the UK government's Department for International Development. The, the project was called Gender Education and Global Poverty Reduction Initiatives. And we started it in 2008. Um, in, and we were concerned to look at South Africa and Kenya and international organizations. And we were interested in the th- first three Millennium Development Goals, the one on poverty, the one on education, and the one on gender equality. And we were struck by the fact that there was a lot of debate about whether the Millennium Development Goals were a good idea or not a good idea, Um, the whole process by which they'd been decided, and then a lot of discussion of the content of the Millennium Development Goals, the MDGs. But very few people seemed to be looking at how they were being implemented in particular kinds of um, contexts. So in South Africa and Kenya, we did five case studies of the National Department of Education, a provincial department of education, a school in a peri-urban area serving a poor community, and then a rural NGO, a non-government organization, and then what we called a global NGO, one that was um, working in a large city um, discussing with Europe. USA and um, uh, the kind of aid community. And what we found from the study was very interesting. We found that the further you moved away from that kind of dynamic of discussion and location of money and power um, in the capital cities and around a kind of community that was putting in practice the MDGs. The less people knew about them, the less they felt the issues that were important to them, which they expressed in a lot of different ways, a lot of it quite incoherently uh, linked to practice. And, um, did, and did they also not link to the goals themselves? So, yes, for example, that's the education right. goals? Yes, the, so the, the, their issues were not being reflected by the goals, which a lot of people have said that the goals didn't respond to local issues. But what we also found is that the ways people were not able to put together gender, education, and poverty. There wasn't academic language about that, there wasn't a professional language about that, and there wasn't a policy language about that. But was there a local language about that? I mean, did people, students, for example, pupils in a school, connect their schooling with their own potential poverty reduction or in their lives, a change in their lives? What what, um, we found is that students struggled to articulate that the problems they were facing were other than their own fault. And so, and we found that students had a stronger knowledge of the complexity of poverty and the social dimensions of poverty in schools that had better access to information. So that 
very much students would say, I've got to pray to God or something's going to happen that will turn me into an airline pilot or a doctor. So s students, while they felt the experience of poverty, they didn't see the social dimensions of it. And teachers who were very close to what students were experiencing, their hunger or their, um, the torn clothes, the inability to concentrate, again lacked a kind of professional language to put that into a social context or to think what they as teachers could do about it. So then immediate response is to blame the poor parents, which um, was a feature that we saw not only amongst teachers, but we also saw it amongst education officials. And to some extent, we also saw it in the NGO community. So it highlighted the need for the MDGs, I think, to expand their remit, I, I think, from just meeting particular targets of reducing poverty or getting all children into school to developing a much more reflective and critical language about how people think about poverty, how you think about poverty and gender and education together. So one of the things that, where I work now at the Department of International Development, one of the things that is obviously being looked at is the post-millennium uh, development goals, what comes next. And in terms of gender, not so much education, because I don't think there is that link across the two, but you know, the big discussion is, should it be a standalone goal or should it cut across the other areas? And I would guess then that the lat whilst you don't want to lose the standalone goal and the, em the sort of momentum that can give, that this research might suggest that gender and, well, that they need to cut across somehow more. Yes, yes. I, I, I think that um, uh, the, the concern to make things cut across, so to cut across um, the kind of silos of the way um, government departments work, the money information, the way information flows, the way money flows, the way expertise flows. That's incredibly challenging how you, how you work across, um, across areas in that way. But um, I think academically we've got to develop the concepts because the concepts that we have, like intersection, are not very helpful are not yet very well worked through in terms of policy or practice. And were there any ideas from, from the research, say local voices from pupils in schools or teachers that suggested a way that that, that might happen? Or well, I think what, com what comes out of the research is that the um, stereotypes is a real problem mm. and and so you need to use the educational space to critically examine and bring a lot more information to undercut and undermine those stereotypes because under pressure to deliver for example teachers under pressure to deliver um, and being judged in terms of how children perform in tests or whatever um, will blame the poor children or their poor parents for failing to achieve their results for yes. them basically. Yeah. And instead of seeing that there's a whole complicated set of relationships happening and you need targets and indicators that can talk to that complexity mm. and uh, reflect it and nuance it. So what will your next piece of work be coming out of that do you think? Well, We've thought about 
how to look at the post-MDG, uh, the post-Millennium Development uh, Goal process. And uh, there's quite a lot of work being done in the non-government organization communities around uh, mobilizing people to put forward demands. My feeling is not enough attention is being paid to that middle ground, the middle ground of information, money, um, changing ideas, all of those processes. And so I would like to do some research on uh, working with teachers um, around gender and poverty. Yeah. I think it is quite interesting because mostly a lot of the focus on gender and education and say teacher training has been purely let's say looking at the way that girls are marginalized in the classroom or whatever not connecting it to poverty. The complexity of how you talk about poverty and um, how you respect people's struggles when they're living in very poor conditions um, really we've got to take that into uh, discussions around teachers and the other thing the, uh, that the Kenya South Africa research showed is how much we assume that policymakers, the officials in departments um, really understand the conditions of people yeah. that they work with and in fact when you think of it that's ridiculous why should they they've gone through highly competitive exams mm. and higher education mm. that have actually removed them mm. from um, condition of understanding conditions of poverty yeah. and there's this huge gulf and we've got to think of ways to help people develop the um, emotional and intellectual and informational yeah the sensitivity mm. to work on those yeah. issues so how, ex how exactly did you come into the field and why did you start engaging with the particular issues that you've, you've moved on so much in your field? I grew up in South Africa, which is a very segregated society and marked with a lot of gender inequality. But I, um, I was part of a generation that was quite engaged in uh, student um, uh, opposition. In, in very creative ways. And, and then I spent a long time in the ANC in exile, working on the Education Committee and in the um, Women's Committee on gender issues. And I think that that brought my, those two interests on gender and education together. And the academic work in the 1980s and 1990s was really, on gender and education was in developing countries was really limited. So there was the whole idea that women's education was only to stop them having too many babies or to um, uh, link with uh, economic production. And, I, and it, so I came into the field really wanting to bring some of the critiques that had come from the women's movement around gender inequalities and education and to what extent education could open spaces but also might reproduce other kinds of inequalities to bring that perception to thinking around developing countries. Oh no, that's very interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kate. It was lovely to speak to you. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. You can find more audio stories from the IOE on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and on your favourite podcasting platform. UCR Minds brings together the knowledge, insights and ideas of our community through a wide range of events and activities that are open to everyone.